0: Welcome to the latest edition of Beyond I See, a podcast from 44 Communications. My name is Tom Abbott and I am the strategy partner at 44. As communicators, we all know the power of a good story, but how you tell that story can be just as important. I recently spoke to Rob Sloan, Artistic Director at the Rugby Theatre, about his experiences as both director and actor in telling a terrific and believable story. Rob, it's really good to talk to you today. You describe yourself as the Artistic Director of Rugby Theatre, can you explain what that
1: means? Yes, so uh, Rugby Theatre is a 270-seater, I suppose you'd say amateur theatre but I I don't like that word, so I like the word community theatre which is a lot more fashionable. Uh, So we're a community theatre in rugby uh, and we put on about 10 shows a year. 20 films a year um, for a kind of community theater it's quite major in the fact that we turn over a quarter of a million pounds a year uh, and we have about probably about 20,000 people come through our doors but but we're all volunteers so i think that's the unique thing and one of the really special things about it that you've got a range of people there from front of house people people manning the bar actors scenic, scenic designers you name it and um, and we're all volunteers so as artistic director my main responsibility is pulling together the program of content that we're going to put out to the audience. Um, so that means finding directors, so show directors, and also training, training them as well if they haven't, uh, if they have, don't have a great deal of experience, and train them up. But then finding plays and musicals, uh, applying for licenses, so making sure we do all of that, and and then yeah, putting together a program, a balanced program that we think our audiences will like. What motivated you to get involved in this? Um, I mean, I've been doing, you know, I've been involved in theatre since, since I was a kid. And as a teenager, I kind of decided pretty much that I wanted to be a director. I think as a director, the, the really exciting thing about directing is that you have that power to move people. You know, power to en- you have that power to move people, to engage people uh, and to do that emotionally. Um, and, you know, if you think about that experience you've had when you've either been to see a play or you've seen a film and you've been moved by it. I kind of thought wow so that's a tremendous skill and talent to have that to have that power to be able to do that to another audience um so that was the main sort of driving force as a director but then as artistic director it was quite an honor really to be asked i mean it takes up a lot of time but it's it it kind of felt yeah quite an honor to to i suppose lead our kind of team of show directors to put together content and this is all willing volunteers
0: rather than professionals
1: yes yes we're all uh well some maybe aren't so willing but no we're all definitely all volunteers yeah
0: You've also been a very successful part of a digital business in Leamington. What lessons have you taken from your theatre work into managing a business and a team? Uh, Oh gosh, there
1: is so much crossover um, between theatre and the digital world. You know, essentially, in both areas, you've, you've got an audience that you want to target, you've got a message that you want to get across, and then you have to think of a way of engaging them. And I suppose something about the digital world is you know that it's... That the audience can quickly click onto something else, or switch you off, or turn on to something else. So you have to engage them very, very quickly. Um, and it's 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 similar in some respects to theatre. In that we've all seen, I think most of the stuff I've seen at the theatre has been boring, right? But when you see something amazing, it stays with you and you remember that production. So it shows you just how hard it is to authentically and genuinely engage an audience. Um, and I think that's, yes, the same in theatre, and I suppose the same in, in creating digital pro- products for, for different audiences, um, and I suppose working with staff members and trying to engage them in a message, because, you know, often you can have, well, every now and again you have a sort of brand exercise, don't you, where you kind of work out what, is, what, what does your company stand for, but how do you find a way of, you know, trying to, as I say, authentically engage your, the people who you work with in that message? because everyone's used to buzzwords, and after a while that, those buzzwords just become kind of noise that you you sort of grow immune to. So you have to find new ways of, of um, getting people excited. What do you think really underpins a good story? So I think a great story has to be something that engages the audience again. I know even the word engage is a bit of a buzzword, but something that grabs the audience, where they don't want to, they, they have to know the end of it. They can't put the book down, uh, if you like. They have to know the end of it. And, you know, ideally the central ideally there's a message, not always, but ideally there's a message and ideally there's a character in that story that is is changed in some way. Um, Now in some respects, ideally there's a character in the story that is changed but it could be the audience changed. Um, Once you get right to the end, you feel something different or you've learned something different or you have a slightly different outlook on life or you've learned about uh, a particular sector of society that perhaps you didn't know anything about before.
0: How do you strike the right balance between, you know, showy tricks, explosions, sparks and lights, and the ability of a really good story to cut through?
1: Yeah, I saw a French play uh, in rugby, actually, at the MacReady Theatre, so it's part of rugby school. I went there a month ago, I went there with my son, and it's a play all in French, so you don't really know what's going on, but through their skill and their craft of storytelling, you, you, you worked out what the story was now their set wasn't anything spectacular you know, It was the kind of thing you can imagine have been taken out of a van and put up in an hour so it didn't so to, to, so to look at it wasn't a visual spectacle but it was the skill of the people who told the story that, that allowed you to understand what was going on um, I know when it comes to something like Shakespeare you know there is a tendency to to do to try and be to try and do something really exciting and well, sorry, everyone wants to do something exciting, but to go for style over substance. So ultimately you have to... Every decision you make about design, about the set, about the costume, has to be rooted in the truth of what it is you're trying to get across. And if you decide, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a glitter ball that's suddenly lowered in this particular scene? You have to kind of just stop and check, but does that help this my core message? And if it doesn't, then ditch it. Um, but it is it is a real temptation to add all those bells and whistles when... As you say, they can just be—they can just detract from what's the number one thing you want to get across, and that's why that number one thing you want to get across has to be really clear. Mm-hmm. But not only to you, it has to be clear to your actors as well. How can you help actors find that clarity? Um, by badgering them. Um, well, there, there, are many, there are many different techniques you can use, but let me think. So, so for example, a show I directed last year was Little, Little Shop of Horrors. And when I saw it, when I saw the film, and when I read the script, there was one central message that stood out to me, which was, how far would you go to get the girl? And if you kind of, you know the show, that kind of tagline makes sense. So I thought, that that still inspires me, that one line. That gets me excited. Every morning If I wake up and I think of that, that that puts a smile on my face. So let's see, how does that work on the poster? So putting that on the poster and using that in the marketing. How far would you go to get the girl? And then talking to the actors about, so where would they fit in? With that, that central message. Um, so, in every scene you're doing, you're thinking about that central message and you're challenging the actors and you're checking to see what it is that they're thinking. Um, the best actors are, are those really that, that have an objective. It, 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 I know it sounds a cliche, but it, they have, they're clearly motivated because you can see it. You can see it in their eyes and their energy. Um, so, you're always asking what, what is their motivation, you know, and just checking in with them what it is that they're thinking. And often you can see if they haven't got it. You can see in their performance within a couple of minutes, within a minute really, you can see if they don't believe in that central message.
0: Many internal comms teams will say that their senior leaders will have a, a kind of corporate mask or a corporate voice that they use when communicating. What do you think we can do to help a business leader find their natural voice and establish real clarity?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, just very quickly about that mask is a real turnoff and people just don't listen to do them, they don't listen. As soon as they see that mask, they, they, it's not a genuine thing. And you see that everywhere, you see it in social media in particular, you know, if the company isn't being honest, if you don't feel there's authenticity there, then you, you switch off. So I suppose it's about trying to find that, that person's voice. And it's, what, it's about trying to find what it is that they're passionate about. So what do they really care about? And then is there an alignment maybe to what they care about with whatever the central message is that they're trying to get across? because you have to believe it i don't i I don't think you can't fake it i don't think you can fake um you know trying to stand up on a platform and trying to enthuse and inspire other people if you don't really believe in it because people see through it so yeah i suppose it'd be about trying to find a way of whatever that central message is that you're trying to get across um finding something that is that you're deeply passionate about
0: not everything goes all right on the night so how do you build resilience for your team when things go wrong
1: well, it's first of all, it's it's making it clear that, that when things go wrong, it's fine. That, and if I'm directing a show I, and I do a warm up with the cast every every performance, um, and at the perform- you know, in that warm up, obviously I'll get them ready, sort of mentally and physically, for the kind of two three hour show they're about to do. But I'll always remind them that something will go wrong. And as an actor, the most crazy things can happen and go wrong. But it's how you deal with it in the moment. Um, so it is about being relaxed and being able to let it go as well. And that happens all the time. You know, actually, I uh, just mentioned I'm, I'm doing a show at the moment, but this time I'm actually acting in it. And even last night there were some mistakes, there were lines lost, and I'm thinking, how, why am I now standing here? I shouldn't be standing here at this point. Where's that prop that I need? And you just have to kind of go with it and, and, and forget it really and move on. Um, but I suppose in terms of being resilient, it is about remembering what it is that you're there to do. <laughs> so before you go on as an actor, before you go on stage for every scene you should be thinking about what is it that you want um, and how how are you going to get it as your character so if something goes wrong if you forget a line if some scenery falls over whatever it is you can still carry on as long as you remember that central what is it that I want
0: what do you feel the main differences are between your role as a director and as an actor
1: essentially directors got way more to do I mean they've got all (laughs) the, the faffy nonsense stuff like just dealing with all the different departments so whether it be marketing, um, getting all the promotional stuff created, briefing front of house so that they know what's happening in the show, dealing with things like are we using guns, are we using knives, are we, is there a fight scene, dealing with a fight and all that kind of stuff, Whereas an actor, you can just think about your what you have to do. Um, however, I do think being a director has hopefully made me a better actor because as an actor, you ideally need to know where you fit in, in that central message. So what is the story that you're telling and what's your part in that story? Um, so, you know, for example, I directed, funnily enough, I directed an English-Polish version of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and we did it at Robbie Theatre, and then we were lucky enough to put on one performance at the RSC, which was amazing. Now, in that, the central one of the central things about, that, about the story of Romeo and Juliet that, that struck me was how the nurse betrays Juliet. And and it's something I remembered as a kid, kind of reading the script at school. And when I went back over it, I thought, yeah, that's really, that's that's quite, that's really harsh, because they're really good friends at the start. So in order to make that work better with an audience, I needed to make sure that the nurse and Juliet were best friends at the start. So we had them dancing to Lady Gaga music. It was a kind of more up-to-date version. So I made sure that that friendship was really solid at the start, and, and it was almost like you couldn't separate them. So that when she betrays Juliet at the end... Um, it's more of a shock to the audience. So I suppose it's about thinking about the overall picture and then thinking about how each cog, if you like, in the machine, plays their part to get that message across. We've spoken a lot about the perspectives
0: of the actor and the director, but when you're approaching a piece of theatre, how much are you thinking about the perspectives of the audience? I think...
1: because I... Yeah, to yeah, it, of right? course, of course. I think I'm always thinking about the audience. You know, whether I'm in the theatre, seeing other people's shows, or in every night seeing the show I've just directed, I'm acutely and kind of painfully aware of how the audience react. So you're always thinking about, oh, the audience didn't laugh then. That's because, you know, damn it, I got the timing wrong of that joke. Or, oh, that worked really well. Brilliant. So I think you're always thinking about the audience um, and whether things land with them. You know, And that's it's just, it, it's, it's, you kind of forget just how hard it is to, to, to use the skills that you had. Of course we've spoken quite a lot about passion and energy, but it's using the skill and talent you've learned as an actor to even just be able to project. You know, right now we've got a slight issue in uh, the play that we're doing at the moment, that the set is quite open, so the sound just gets lost. So suddenly we're all having to project way more than we would and it feels very odd on stage. But it's a real challenge at the moment because some of us are, quite, are struggling to get or make our voices heard right at the back of the theatre. If something isn't working for an audience, how happy are you to adapt or to flex or change? 100%. I mean, really, because it's nothing worse than when you see the audience don't get it. And maybe, you know, you might tr- give it a second night, but really, if they don't get it, you, you, do, you do try and change it. Although what we do at Rugby Theatre, once we've... To, once we've done Dress Week, we kind of hand the show over to a stage manager so we don't really tinker with it. And, and also our shows are only running for seven nights. But honestly, I tell you, after the seven nights, I always have a long list of 100 things I know I have to change, if I could. Um, and, and in fact, actually, that was one of the great things about doing Romeo and Juliet was we did it at Rugby Theatre, and then I had you know, a good three months to think about what I wanted to change for when we were able to put it on at the RSC. And I know I used to just not like the idea of, um, kind of audience analysis. I just, you know, you, you'd think, oh, it's the author has their vision and that should be enough. But it was actually after watching, um, and I'm, you know, I'm aware loads of companies do it and I get it. But it was after watching, I don't know if you've ever seen the 80s film Major League, the baseball film. Um, I used to play baseball as a kid and it's one of my favourite films. It's, it's it's very funny, very stupid, very over the top. It's a typical um, sort of David and Goliath story of this, this team, uh, uh, Cleveland Indians, who are pretty bad, and they, they make it to the, to the top and win the, the, yeah, the, win the Major League, I suppose. Um, now, in that, when I got the DVD and I looked at the extras, I realised that the ending was completely different, but they changed it because of the audience reaction. So, and that kind of quite, <laughs> quite shocked me to my core because this is a film I'd grown up with. I thought it was a masterpiece, but if you think the writers, the directors, everyone involved had intended a completely different ending, but the audience just didn't like it. So they had to quickly film it and completely change. You know, something as drastic as actually, in the original, the baddie was actually good all along and she'd planned the whole thing. That was everyone's intention. They film it, they get it in front of an audience, and the audience don't buy it. So they have to change it and know, actually, the baddie is a baddie, and we all hate the baddie, and that's what we want to do. Um, So I think you have to... um, A bit of high art there, as an example. But uh, there's you have to be able to adapt to audiences um, and also in the digital world we're often doing that user testing you know we have to doing user testing with kids in particular is brilliant you know you take a game into a school and icons and iconography in the game that you think the audience are going to understand and they don't I remember one game we designed actually for Danger Mouse it had a speedometer in it because we wanted to show wanted some kind of icon to show speed how fast the character was and kids, didn't, of course, didn't have a clue what on earth it was. So we we uh, came back to the studio, had a think, uh, and then, in fact, actually, I think we asked the kids what they suggested, and they suggested a trainer, which, of course, makes sense. So we then changed it to a trainer, and then kids understood it. Um, but, yeah, I think it is very important. But although I would say, ideally, you don't want to compromise too much, do you? Because the message can get diluted if you have too many people with opinions. Because everyone's got opinions. But I think definitely there's something major you should, you have to listen to it. Often when
0: we're planning internal comms,
1: we're asking people to step
0: outside their comfort zone or consider very new things. As a director, you're asking people to do some pretty crazy and ridiculous things. How do you manage that?
1: Yeah, um, it's, yeah, you're right. It happens all the time. And on some shows, there are some crazy examples. I think of one show we did Maiden Dagenham, and it has to have a Ford, I'm not great with cars, by the way, but I think it's a Ford Cortina, maybe, but a particular type of Ford car. And so the challenge was set, so that's one thing, setting a challenge, what if we brought a car on stage? Could we do it? Um, Now, we knew we couldn't fit a whole car, but we had the stage crew guys, who were also engineers um, in their day jobs, who went out and found this particular Ford car they cut it in half and they spent months and months doing it up, ready for the show um, so it's about inspiring people because uh, so theatre is a great place where you're often asking people to do ridiculous things you're making unreasonable requests of people but you'd be surprised if you make those requests and you, you, know, you do it with passion and belief then people often like rising to the challenge some directors actually don't are afraid to ask uh, for, for the really outlandish things and they'll settle They'll say, oh, why don't we, it'll be fine if we do this. I don't, you know, it's like they don't want to push it, and I've been guilty of that as well. But actually, when you do ask for the, the really out there stuff, often the challenge is set. And, and then the, the people, whether it's in wardrobe or making the props or building the set, they enjoy the experience much more and they remember it much more because after all, it's an adventure, isn't it? And you you want to go on the biggest adventure you can.
0: How are you bringing a diverse set of skills behind your shared outcome?
1: Uh, we have a, a, a range of different, um, I suppose, methods and structures, but one of the things that I like to do is put together a design doc, which is kind of quite a marketing thing, really. It's basically a document that, that, that will have that central message, uh, you know, uh, how far will you go to get a girl, and then it has a load of kind of mood board images of, of the kinds of things I, I think would work or I'd like to see. And I would brief people right at the outset, so those people who are doing props, um, wardrobe and scenery, and then they would go off. Uh, with have, have a think themselves then we use I mean what's brilliant now is just the amount of social media tools so we'll use Pinterest or we'll create Pinterest boards it's a great way of communicating visually and you know if I'm trying to prove someone on costume I, I don't have to describe closer um, and so Pinterest is great for that You're using whatsapp as well so you can easily and very quickly send messages and send ideas and have very very quick fire conversations and um, then we have something called a PPU, which basically it stands for pre-production unit. I'm not sure why we call it that, but we get everyone together and we talk about how we actually going to make that peach fly in *James and Giant Peach*, or how we, you know we work out all those things. And then if again people then have then have room to go off and and do some research and work things out. And then we come back together and have another PPU where everyone sits down and tries to come up with solutions to things. But it's it's hard, isn't it? Because you have to. Yeah, it's a, what is hard is dealing with the naysayers and every, they exist everywhere, don't they? They exist in, in uh, theatre, in work um, but it's finding ways to try and get those naysayers on board so they don't kind of zap the energy and drain the energy from, from, the, from the project.
0: From start to finish, how long are you spending on
1: these projects? As a director, you're probably spending about a year because you're putting together a, a, a proposal for what you want to do you're getting a licence and then you're starting to get your team together and you know, like you said, you're trying to inspire people to get them on board. Um, if you're someone like, let's say it's wardrobe, then it might be two or three months. Uh, so people sort of come onto to your, I suppose, train, if you like, as you're going. And as you get closer and closer to the performance, more and more people get on, on board. Um, often these are people that have just done another show as well. So they're going from one show to the next. Um, but yeah, as a director, about a year. As an actor, we rehearsed for about 10 weeks. Um, but as soon as you're cast, you're kind of thinking about it. Um, and you have you know the, the show I'm doing at the moment so I'm, I'm in A View from the Bridge and as soon as I was cast I was trying to watch as many um, uh, films or TV like The Sopranos I you know, trying to watch as much TV or film with New York accents um,
0: yeah. Rob that's been really fascinating so thank you so much for your time